I'm going to ask you to take your Bible, if you brought a Bible with you, and turn to the book of Genesis, chapter number 29, and you can remain seated as I read the word here in just a few moments. But it is a high privilege to come again to this pulpit and to preach to this wonderful church. And it is a, a blessing that I do not presume upon. It's not something I take for granted, but I am just so very blessed to be counted among you and to have the privilege to um, deliver God's word. Amen. I want to represent him well today. I want to represent his word well today, and I pray the Lord will speak to our hearts. So if you have a Bible or something to look at the Bible, would you turn to Genesis chapter 29, and I will read that in just a few minutes. Thank you so much to our choir, our praise team for leading us in great worship today. In the Old Testament, Jacob is fleeing from his brother Esau. If you've ever had turmoil in a family, you can identify with this. Uh, things aren't going well with the brothers. And in Genesis chapter 28, as Jacob is making his way quickly away from the presence of his brother, he has a dream. I don't know how you have dreams. Some of my dreams are pretty vivid. And uh, most of it has to do with the kind of food that I ate the day before, I think. But in this particular dream, jo uh, Jacob rather sees a ladder that is stretching from heaven to earth, and it is in that holy moment that he recognizes he is being talked to by the Lord. In that dream, God promises Jacob many, many descendants. As he flees, he comes to the house of one called Laban, and at Laban's house, he casts eyes upon a beautiful girl by the name of Rachel. It's a love story. She is a shepherdess. And as things go, Jacob wants to marry Rachel. And uh, as any good dad would do, that boy's not going to get off cheap. He's not just going to waltz in, take my daughter and marry her. There's going to be a, a price to pay for that. He's going to have to work for it. And so he speaks to Jacob and says, yes, you can have Rachel as your wife, but you need to give me the next seven years and be my hired hand. And when you do that, upon the completion of that, you can have Rachel to be your wife. Now, how many of you know love is blind? It's deaf. And it doesn't have a lot of common sense sometimes. And so to that proposal, Jacob simply says, yes, sir. He works arduously for seven years. It comes time for the marriage to take place. And wouldn't you know, Laban, the soon-to-be father-in-law, does exactly what Jacob did previously. And he deceives Jacob. And instead of giving Jacob Rachel for a wife, he takes Rachel's sister Leah and gives her to Jacob. Now, just so you know, Leah and Rachel were different. They just were different. I'm going to show you this in the Bible. The Bible says that Leah had delicate eyes. Now, on the surface, we may hear that and say, well, that's a, that's a nice way to say that. That actually was not a compliment. Because when you research delicate eyes, it means weak eyes tender eyes, no sparkle in her eyes. 
So, in other words, if I can kind of read between the lines, when a man looked at Leah, his first response probably was, eh. That's the Tim Gaddy version of the Bible there. But Rachel, the Bible says, was beautiful in form and appearance. Very different from her sister. Now, I'll say this, and I just want to kind of help, help us brothers out. I want to help you ladies out too right now, especially our young folks. Pastor's going to help you right now. If you ever have a guy come up to you and say, the first thing that I noticed about you, young lady, was your beautiful spirit. <laughs> Pastor's going to help you out right now. He's a liar. Yeah, I felt something sweep in here right now. And so Laban deceived Jacob just like Jacob had deceived his father. And in response to the deception, Laban said, well, well actually, it's, it's written here. I won't get into all of this. When Jacob looks at his father-in-law and says, what's the deal? Huh? What, what are you giving me Leah for? I didn't work these seven years for the delicate-eyed one. I didn't work these seven years for the eh one. I didn't work for her. I worked for the shapely, beautiful Rachel. And Laban says, well, you know what? I tell you what, you can have her as a wife, and you can have her right now. After this week of celebration and wedding is over with Leah, you can have her as soon as that's over, but you have to work seven more years for me. Now, I will repeat something I said just a moment ago. How many of you know love is blind and love is deaf? And love doesn't make a whole lot of common sense sometimes. And so he took Rachel to be his wife, and he worked seven more years. That brings us to Genesis chapter number 29 and verse 31. When the Lord saw, I'll pause so you can get there. Genesis 29 and verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So Leah conceived and bore a son. Everyone say the first son. And she called his name Reuben, which literally means behold a son. For she said, the Lord has surely looked on my affliction. What is Leah's affliction? She actually answers it in the next statement. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. In other words, he hasn't loved me up to this point for whatever reasons he chooses, but now that I have borne him a son, the first son, now my husband will love me. Verse 33, then she conceived again and bore a son. Everyone say the second son. And said, because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon, which literally means God has heard me. It continues, verse 34. She conceived again 
and bore a son. Everyone say the third son. And said, now this time, my husband will become attached to me. Because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. And Levi literally means to be joined or attached. She named her third son what she so desired of her relationship with her husband. Verse 35, it's like a broken record. And she conceived again and bore a son. Everyone say the fourth son. And said, now I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah, then she stopped bearing. I'm going to take a few minutes, and I don't think I'll preach a long time today, but I want to preach about the fourth son. Everybody say, the fourth son. I've always been intrigued by prophecy. I've always been intrigued by the end times. The big word is eschatology or the study of things to come. That's what that word means. I am a subscriber to a magazine called End Time Magazine. Some of you have that magazine. And it speaks of the various current events and how they could portray what the scripture says will happen in the last days. I was especially drawn a number of years ago to Revelation chapter 13 and when we read the book of Revelation, we must read it understanding that there is imagery in that book. There is revelation. That's what the book is called, the revelation of Jesus Christ. But there's a lot of illustrative wording in that book. It speaks of false religious leaders and deities. But in Revelation chapter 13, the scripture says that there will come a time that people will take a mark upon either their right hand or their forehead. And the Bible says in the very next chapter, Revelation 14, that he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. We might say, well, who is it that's going to be tormented like that? I don't want any part of that. I don't want anything to do with what you just read in Revelation 14, Pastor. It goes on further in verse 11 and says, And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night. And here's who it is that is tormented. Whoever receives the mark of his name. Now think about this with me. I know this is sober. I know we're not going to run aisles and jump chairs on this right now. But the Bible says there is going to come a day when some in mankind will get a mark attached to them, whether it be on their right hand or their forehead, and just the taking of that mark will forever put them in a category of torment and no rest day or night, forever separated from the very presence of God. And so as a, 
As a man, I read that, and that scares me. I'm here to tell you. I'm just going to tell you what comes in my mind when I read that. That scares me, not because I have this over-foreboding feeling that I'm going to be forever tormented or I'm going to be forever separated, but I want to know what is it that would cause someone to have a mark affixed to them that would forever banish them from the presence of God. Because I, I can only speak for myself. I love being in the presence of God. I love feeling the presence of God. I love walking into the sanctuary. I'm not talking about pure emotion. I'm talking about the very real, tangible presence of an eternal God. That hasn't got old to me. It hasn't grown old in my spirit. I'm glad that when we walk in, I'm not just in another church. I'm in a church that believes that God Almighty is in our midst. And so because of that, I want to know, inquiring minds want to know, what would cause somebody to take a mark? that would eternally separate them from God. Because I want to get as far away from that as I can. I want to make sure I am nowhere near that territory. I don't want to walk down that street. I don't want to flirt with that. I don't want to get in proximity to that. I want to find out what it is and stay far away from it. And so I started looking. And Pastor Chris, in Revelation chapter 13 and 4, it tells us exactly what it was that caused them to get desensitized to the place that the mark would be placed upon them. And it simply is this. They worshipped the dragon. Now, everything was probably good in most of our hearts until I just said they worshipped, you were good with that, the, I, you were good with that, dragon. That's where I lost some of you. We have to understand, Revelation will interpret itself. And when you and I read the book of Revelation, we will find out that the dragon is Satan himself. We will hear things mentioned like the first beast, which according to the scripture is the governmental system of the day. We will hear other things like the second beast, or the false prophet, which speaks specifically of Antichrist himself. And the thing that separated mankind, or will separate mankind, forever from the Lord, is when they take worship that was supposed to be relegated to God himself, and put it on somebody else. It's when they are so deceived and so encumbered by life that they misplace the worship that God put inside of them. And instead of giving it to the Lord Jesus forever and ever and ever and ever, they decide we're going to be deceived to the point where it's easy to give our worship to the false god. It's easy to give our worship to Satan himself. It's easy to give our worship to the governmental uh, agency of the day, the system of the day, the antichrist of the day. They worship the first beast, the scripture says. I'm going to tell you something. I believe scripture teaches very clearly and in context what scripture means. But I also believe the converse is true. I believe that worship in this text can separate someone from God. But I also believe the opposite is true. That worship to the one true living God 
cannot just get us near the Lord, not just get us in proximity to the Lord, not just get us close to the Lord, but praise to the one eternal God can unite us with God himself. Come on, I, I, feel, I feel in my spirit today like I want to make sure that my praise is to the one true living God. I want Jesus to know he's the only one that is worthy of lifted hands and lifted voices. He's the one that's worthy of every bit of energy that I would expend. He's the one that's worthy of every song and every word and every action. Jesus Christ is the only one worthy. Praise God. Say, Brother Gaddy, why is praise so powerful today? Because it is a choice. I praise Him with my thoughts. I praise Him with my words. I praise Him with my actions. Everybody say, praise is always a choice. Come on, I want you to shout it at pastor. Say, praise is always a choice. Nobody can make me praise God. Nobody can make you praise God. Nobody can make us give our hands to the Lord. No one can make us lift our voice. But when we choose to do that, when we choose to enter into the house of God and say, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. I was glad when they said unto me, let's go to the house of the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want he is Alpha and Omega. He's beginning and the ending. He's the first and he's the last. He's the one that is right now, but he's the one that was and the one that shall come. Nobody can make me, but I choose to praise him today. I choose to praise him. Amen. Misplaced worship can eternally separate someone from God himself. But holy God-centered worship can bring the very God of eternity into our midst. The Bible says in Psalm 22 and 3, you are holy, speaking to the Lord, you are holy, you are enthroned in the praises of Israel. Can I say it like this? You build your throne when, people, when your people praise you. Brother Odell, I made up him. I want to build him a big throne. Can I get about six people to help me preach today? H have you ever seen at Walmart those tiny little chairs? I mean, it, those, they're little folding. I know we've gone camping together, some of us, and you pull out those, those folding chairs, and they got the little cup holder. I'm, not talk I'm talking about the little kid folding chairs like has Spongebob on it or something, and, and you fold them out, and they're just, beep. And, and you sit it down, and even a gaddy <laughs> has a problem sitting on that. Why? Because it's a small chair. It's too small. And I, I don't say that very often. That's not going to come out of my mouth very often. It's too small. Well, I made up in my mind, if the Bible says that praise enthrones him, I, I'm not going to come to church. I'm just going to tell you right now. I'm not going to come to church and get out the little SpongeBob chair. Come sit right here, Jesus. 
But do you know what we've been doing for the last, I don't even know what time it is, and that's good. The clock's not on the wall. That means I can just preach as long as I want to today. But you know what we've been doing over the last 45, 50 minutes, maybe an hour in this house? We've been building a throne in this house. And if we were to look around this sanctuary right now, there's some people so far, just a little chair. I'm going to enthrone him just a little bit. I'm going to give him a little place to sit. But then there's others in this house that you made up in your mind. It's Sunday morning. I got breath in my body. I've got a praise in my spirit. I'm going to build him the biggest throne that I can give him. I am not going to put him on a small throne, but I'm going to build that throne with my praise. Woo! Hallelujah. Come on, everybody. Let's build him a throne for a moment. Come on, everybody. Let's build him a place to sit for a while. Come on, the Bible says, let God arise and his enemies be scattered. I want him to rise up. I want him to be seated in this house. I want his throne to be a large throne, a holy throne, a great throne. Woo! Everybody say, you are holy, Lord. Come on, shout it out. Say, you are enthroned in the praises of your people. Come on, shout it. Say, you are enthroned in my praise today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to build him a big throne. I don't want to misplace my worship. I don't want to misplace my praise. You may be seated. We got to get this today. I don't choose my reality, but I do choose my praise. That's so good, I'm going to say that again. I don't choose my reality, but I do choose my praise. It's my choice. Marriage, there's a bond like no other thing than marriage. Why is marriage so powerful? Because marriage is a choice. A man choosing a woman, a woman choosing a man. Why is adoption so powerful? Because it is an analogy that God used in Scripture to identify our relationship with him. One person chooses someone. I choose them to be in my family. I'm going to tell you, I, I have, I've been with families in the courtroom over the years when they adopted children. And I have to be honest with you, Brother Isaiah, I never, ever, 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 ever was prepared for the emotion that I would feel. And I remember when Judge Sandy Huckabee was residing over the courtroom and one of our members of our church was adopting a child. And the judge said, ma'am, do you understand that from this day forward, this child is surrendering all rights to their birth family. And now they are completely your responsibility. Do you choose today to take full responsibility for this child? And that mother said, I do. And with one stroke of a pen, that child's last name changed. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. I stood in the back of that courtroom and I'm weeping like a baby because it hit me. What a powerful choice that is. What a powerful choice that is. The reason why praise is so powerful is because it's a choice. 
David had been anointed king, and Saul is hunting him down. That, that had to just be horrific. David had his life spared by information that his dear friend Jonathan had gave him about his father Saul. David's fleeing from Saul. And the Bible says that he came to a man by the name of Ahimelech, the priest. He then left Ahimelech and he fled and went to an area called Ashish. And when he got to Ashish, word started getting around to the heathen king that David was nearby. And he was going through a tough deal because Saul was fleeing at, or coming after him. And he was fleeing from Saul. It kind of embarrassed David. So much so that the word got around that people were talking about David. And uh, you mean David, the David, is fleeing like a rat? You mean the David is being chased by Saul? So David did what all good people do in that situation. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 21 and verse 13, he changed his behavior. <laughs> and one verse of the Bible says he feigned himself mad. Now, can I just say, that doesn't mean he feigned himself angry. No, it means he feigned himself really cuckoo. It's in the Hebrew, is the word cuckoo. Now, I can't even imagine what that must have been like. David, who's going to be the king of Israel someday, and he is feigning, pretending as though he is mad... Because eventually, the people of Asia said, well, you know what? Let's just get him out of here. We don't, we don't need to bother with him. He's, he's, he's kind of beside himself anyways. And they let him go. And the Bible says, in the context of all that, the fleeing and the feigning himself mad, he comes to the cave of Adullam. Okay, do you get the context of David's life? This is not like one of your greater, let's post about it on Facebook weeks. He's fleeing from Saul for his life. He's now in Asius, and they're talking about him. He's pretending he's mad to get away from them, and now his current residence is in a cave. And notice, notice in 1 Samuel chapter 22 and verse 2 what happens when he gets to the cave. This is so good. Everyone, I'm reading, everyone that was in distress, in debt, and discontented gathered themselves unto him. And he became a captain over them. <laughs> now, just when you think it can't get worse, you're sitting in a cave, and people start hearing David's in a cave. And the Bible does not say, I, I, you have to understand how I look at the Bible. It's, the Bible doesn't say, and all the happy people came to his rescue. All the people that had no problem with anybody else decided we're going to go encourage David. Nope. The Bible says the discontented and the despondent and the depressed. Jesse, I need your help. Jacob, I need your help. Joe, I need your help. Come here. Sit right here with me. Sit right here. Give me a spot right in the middle there. I would like to introduce you to the discontented. 
the distressed, the ones in debt, the ones who have all kinds of trouble in their life. And they have come to help David, who is in the battle of a lifetime. And he's in a cave, and they've come to be with him. How many of you have lived long enough to know, please do not point when I ask you this. But how many of you live long enough to know that if you're near a discontented person, most of the time they let that be known. So this discontented guy right here who is sitting with me in the cave is not saying, boy, it's a great day today, isn't it? You're looking nice, David. No, he's griping about something going on in his life. And this distressed guy, look how distressed he looks right now. This distressed guy is in the cave with David, and he's talking about what it is that's perplexing him and bothering him and worrying a wart on his brain today. And just look at this guy. There's not much more I can say than just say, look at that guy right there. I mean, this is a band of distressed, depressed, broken guys. And they look at me, David, and say, you're our captain. Thanks. Thank you. So what do you do when you're surrounded by distress and perplexed and depression? You know what David did? I don't think he had a, an Apple pencil back then. I don't even think he actually had a pen and paper. But the Bible says in that context, he decided this is a good opportunity to write a song. Not the kind of song that they play on the country western stations. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let's exalt his name together. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who puts his trust in him. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. The righteous cry out to the Lord, and he hears them, and he delivers them out of all of their troubles. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Do you know when he wrote that psalm? He wrote it sitting in the cave, surrounded by negativity, when everything was going wrong. Honey, you choose to praise him. I choose to praise him. Come on, it's a choice. It's a choice on Sunday morning. It's a choice. It's my choice. It's my mature choice. Would you give these discontented guys a great hand while they're seated right now? 
Paul, Silas, you don't have much to shout about. You're in the Philippian jail. But at midnight, the Bible says, they began to look around and say, we can't get out of here, so we might as well start choosing to praise God. And when they chose to praise God, the Bible says that everyone's bands were loosed. All the prison doors were open. Praise is a choice. My worship is a choice. You've had stripes put upon you. You've had imprisonment. You've been in the inner prison. You've been shackled. What are you going to do? You're going to cry about it. You're going to say, well, everything's unfair. God's not treating me right. No, they decided that's a great opportunity to choose to praise the Lord. Praise God. Everybody say it's a choice. Now, the second thing, and I got a two-point sermon today, so rejoice in that. My praise has the power to affect far more than just me. Now, I'm coming in for, plane's coming in for a landing. I'm not going to preach much longer. Here you go, but please don't miss this right here. Leah, Leah had a lot of stuff going on in her life. Not the least of which, as I mentioned in our opening text, she is not loved by her husband. So much so that at the time of her life that should be the happiest, the birth of a child, she's desperate. And it's borne out in the way she named her, her boys. When, when, when it should have been all about the baby, it was not all about the baby. It was about her unmet need of love from her husband. She has the first son. Now he'll love me. She has the second son. Now he'll love me. She has the third son. She even named him such that meant attached or united to. Now Jacob will love me. But the Bible does not simply say she just haven't kept having kids and kept feeling forsaken. The Bible says she had a fourth son. And when she had the fourth son, I don't know what it was, but something changed in Leah. And she simply said, now will I praise the Lord. I, I, I'm, I'm going to set aside the severe disappointment. And I'm going to praise the Lord. I'm going to push aside what I don't understand and now I'm going to praise the Lord. I'm not getting a need met from my husband, but I choose right now to praise the Lord. And when she chose to praise the Lord, to signify that, she said, and this boy's name, this fourth son's name will be Judah. And Judah literally means praise. In a loveless marriage, Leah decided to finally focus on the Lord. In the middle of what she could not explain, Leah said, I'm not going to hold hostage the rest of my life, but I am choosing right now to praise the Lord. 
You say, well, what, what happened in that? That's kind of a sad tale. I have to be honest with you. When I read Leah's story in my life, many times it's easy for me to default to say, what a, what a poor lady. She, she's, she's delicate-eyed. She's not loved by her husband. What, what, a, what, a, what, a, what a sad story. But actually, everything changes when that fourth son comes. Because when, when she chose to praise the Lord, do you know what came from that? Well, yeah, Brother Gaddy, Judah came from that, the fourth son, yes. But also from Judah came another man that I just preached about on down the line. His name was David. And Solomon, his son, came from the line of Judah. And Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet, came from the line of Judah. And Amos and Habakkuk and Joel, who is the prophet that prophesied this end-time revival that you and I are experiencing. Do you know where they came from? They came from the line of Judah. Micah and Obadiah and Zechariah and Zephaniah, all Old Testament prophets used by God to speak God's word to his people. You know where they came from? They came from the tribe of Judah. Because when we finally begin just to praise him, and when we do not allow circumstance to dictate our praise, it can affect far more than we could ever imagine. It'll affect what we feel and how we act and our lineage. And I want to give that kind of heritage to my kids. I'm here, I'm preaching in this Sunday morning. There are some things in this guy's life right now that I do not have figured out. And I can't figure it out. But I have made up in my mind, I will not let the disappointment keep me from praising the God that has saved my life. I want to pass that down to my kids. I want my kids to know you praise him when you don't understand. And you praise him when things are not perfect. And you praise him when you can't figure it out. Come on, I believe God's got a word for somebody here today. Something's got to change when that fourth son is born. Something's got to change in my spirit. Now I will praise the Lord. You think it was good? David came, Solomon came, Habakkuk came, Obadiah came, Micah came, Zephaniah came. But that wasn't all that came. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 5 speaks of this one named Jesus who's called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. You never know what will happen when you don't push your praise aside but grab a hold of your praise. Let it dictate your heritage. It'll give birth to something that will go beyond our ability. It'll give birth to something that goes beyond our discontent and beyond our trouble and beyond what we cannot understand. Something happened and changed with the fourth son. I just felt an intercessory spirit just a moment ago, so I want to lean into that right now. I want you just to pray with me. Those of you that know how to pray, I wish you'd just help Pastor push in the spirit right now. Whew, hallelujah. Come on. Let that praise out to the Lord right now. Let that praise out to the Lord right now. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. We can't just think of praise. You got to speak of praise. 
You can't just conjure it up in your mind. You got to let your mouth say it. You got to speak a praise. We don't just think praise. We speak praise. We declare it with our mouth. We declare it with our mouth. Now I will praise the Lord. Leah said this. Now I will praise the Lord. We speak the praise. We speak the praise. We speak the praise. I want you to stand with me if you would. And our musicians, you can come. I want so much for us to leave this house and during this week, the last few days of August, first few days of September, that something will rise up in our spirit that will speak praise to the Lord wherever we are, wherever we are. It's not saying things aren't bad. It's not saying that things don't, don't work out exactly like we want, but that's not the condition for praise. It's not dependent on whether things are working in my behalf. Come on. If you've let God down recently, the devil wants to show up today and tell you, shut your mouth. Don't praise God. I'm here in the Holy Ghost to tell you, repent of sin and then lift your voice and worship God. He draws near to that. He comes near to that. Now I will praise the Lord. Now I will praise the Lord. Now I will praise the Lord. Come on, there's a spirit of Leah in this house today that says, I've tried it I've, for three renditions of this. I've tried to name it something else. But now I'm stopping and I'm just going to praise him. I'm just going to praise him. Listen, try praising him. Try praising him. Try thanking him. It hasn't happened yet, Pastor. Just thank him. Hasn't come to pass yet. Tide hasn't come in yet. Things are still bad in the relationship. Just praise him like it has happened. That's worship by faith. Worship by faith. Worship by faith. Look at this on the screen. Brother BJ, put those verses on the screen. Would you do that? Do you have those verses? I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I want this section over here to say, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I want you to say it again. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Everybody in these middle sections, I want you to listen to pastor. Say, it is you, O Lord, that is greater than he that's in the world. This is 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4. Say, it is you, O Lord, that is greater than he that is in the world. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. It is you, O Lord, that is greater than he that is in the world. Everybody over on this side say, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but they are mighty through God. Come on, say the weapons of our warfare whoo, are not carnal, but they are mighty through God. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. It is you, O oh Lord, that is greater than he that is in the world. Come on, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God.
Come on, I want you to speak that out to the Lord right now. I want you to speak that out to the Lord right now. I want you to speak that out to the Lord right now. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. It is you, O Lord, that is greater than he that is in the world. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. I will praise him. Now I will praise him. Now I will praise him. Now I will praise him. Now